Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. As caffeine content and energy drinks climb to heights, some countries and retailers are banning the products or imposing age restrictions. In the U.S. and U.K., there are no national regulations that ban the sale of highly caffeinated energy drinks, but some pediatricians and parents are calling for the U.S. to treat energy drinks like alcohol and cigarettes. Joining me now is Danielle Robertson-Rath and Lang Groninger, two experts from Food Chain ID. That's a company that helps with keeping the supply chain safe and transparent. Danielle and Lane, welcome to the NutraCast. Hello. For those who don't know, how does Food Chain ID support manufacturers of products and supplements that contain caffeine? Let's start with you, Lane. There's a couple of ways we do that. We have something that we call a regulatory database. So if a manufacturer wants to actually read the regulations, they can in this regulatory database. We have something we call regulatory trends, which is more looking on the horizon to see what's coming up. And it contains not just the regulations, but media sources and what people are talking about. And then finally, there's the uh, consulting piece where people might have questions about the gray areas or might want a second opinion regarding their policies. So those are three ways that we currently provide support to the manufacturers. Okay, good to know. And let's talk about your specific roles at Food Chain ID. Uh, We'll start with you, Danielle. Yes, so I am a project manager and a consultant for Food Chain ID. My background is in biochemistry and food science, so I'm a giant science nerd and I love talking about caffeine. I also enjoy projects involving the regulations and compliance for caffeinated products because it's so fascinating to me. But I also lead projects involving software implementation here at Food Chain ID. Okay, so you love talking about caffeine, but I have a question for you. How much caffeine do you intake every day? (laughs) It varies. (laughs) Good at matching how much caffeine I need physiologically and mentally. So I never have more caffeine than what I think I need. Sometimes I'm just tired and I really just need a walk, not caffeine. So I'm I'm very good at that. So it it varies. Okay, good to know. (laughs) And Lane, uh, tell us about your role and how much caffeine you take in every day. Let me start with the easy one. Uh, I try not to think about how much caffeine I take in. I get up very early. And so probably by uh, seven o'clock, I've had two cups of coffee. So I I intake quite a bit. (laughs) As far as my role, I'm the director of the subject matter experts for the scientific and regulatory affairs area in Food Chain ID. And I, I came to this because I have about 40 years of experience in the food industry. And my group assists businesses, not just in food, but in cosmetics and beverages, packaging and distribution, you know, just anything that you can think of in terms of putting it on your body or in your body, we probably handle it. Okay. And so, Danielle, why don't you tell me a little bit about this energy drink boom that we've seen in recent years? Uh, What or perhaps I should say who caused it? Is it because of the gamers or, or where did it start? Well, so honestly, caffeine has always been something that consumers have craved. It's not really 
new. Consumers have always wanted caffeine. In fact, a study from the University of Pennsylvania says that approximately 85% of adult Americans consume at least one caffeinated beverage a day. That study was back in 2012. So it's not new to want caffeine. What is new is how that caffeine shows up, whether it's coffee or tea or soda or energy drinks. But in fact, coffee is still the predominant source of caffeine with about 64% of uh, caffeine consumers getting their caffeine from coffee. But the energy drink category is one of the strongest performing and most consistent categories in the wider non-alcoholic beverage industry. And that's according to the Mintel 2021 U.S. Energy Drinks Market Report. But it's not the gamers per se. I would say one of the reasons energy drinks are booming is because if you think about it this way, and this is going to make me feel so old, but today's <laughs> freshman has never lived in a world without energy drinks. Red Bull was introduced to U.S. markets in 1997, so energy drinks have been around a lot longer than it may feel. So the boom isn't really because of gamers per se. It's just more availability of the caffeine that we've always wanted and always looked for. Okay. And so I know caffeine plays a huge role in the market, but but what about other ingredients? How do they stack up against caffeine? <laughs> well, I like to say that um, caffeine is kind of the Iron Man of the Avengers. It's really the one doing all the work. All of the ingredients in energy drinks help for sure. And there's several different sources of caffeine, like guayusa, guarana, herba mate, coffee beans, tea leaves, etc. But caffeine is the one doing the majority of the work. Caffeine is the one that stimulates the cognitive functions. Other ingredients like taurine and B vitamins, they're not stimulants, but the B vitamins do play a role in metabolism. So really that boost that you feel from an energy drink, that's just the caffeine. That's the perceived energy you're getting. Are you seeing uh, any trends or, or any consumers kind of wanting specific types of caffeine? I'm thinking like clean versus, I guess, not clean caffeine. Um, it varies. I mean, I've seen I've been following energy drinks roughly since the early 2000s. So I've seen many, many trends come and go. There was a nootropics trend where people wanted things like beta alanine in their energy drinks. Um, people have wanted branch chain amino acids and other supplements that you commonly found uh, find in like sports supplements along with their caffeine. Then recently there's been this trend to get quote unquote clean caffeine where it's just caffeine and nothing else. Those usually don't taste too good. So that trend is kind of not making as much of an impact as other, other uh, ingredients. It's, Everything just is in constant flux. I think the main thing that means that remains consistent with all the other ingredients coming and going is that people want a steady source of caffeine. So they want caffeine they recognize. Caffeine sources like coffee and tea tend to do better than things that are a little bit newer, like guayusa or guarana. Some of those things seem more tropical or botanical. And so they don't always get the same consumer preference as some of the easier to pronounce caffeine sources, just like coffee or tea. So it sounds like a lot of different ingredients are trending. They come and go, but caffeine isn't going anywhere. It's here to stay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So energy drinks, as we all know, have been 
pretty controversial, especially in recent years. What would you say has been some of the biggest challenges with formulation and, and safety over the years? That's a great question. I think the number one reason that energy drinks are controversial and perhaps why they've always been controversial is because it's a challenge of safety, knowing and conveying how much caffeine is too much. There are so many misconceptions around how much caffeine is in energy drinks. This is why they're often referred to as, quote, dangerous concoctions. But in fact, top-selling energy drinks have about the same amount of caffeine as a home-brewed cup of coffee. The challenge is coffee has a basic recipe. It's basically coffee beans and water. No, no insults or no, you know, I don't want to offend any coffee drinkers, but it's, you know, coffee is basically coffee beans and water, but there is no standard energy drink formula. As you mentioned, there's lots of ingredients that are coming and going with trends. So that's one of the challenges. It's knowing how much caffeine is too much and also knowing how one recipe may differ from another when really it's just the caffeine. So that that is the challenge. It's the safety. I think, honestly, the other challenge is the burden of responsibility on the manufacturer. So how do you convey safe consumption to the consumer? On the one hand, you want to convey that your product is going to give somebody energy, but you also have to do that in a responsible way where you're not subtly condoning excessive consumption of caffeine. It's a very difficult balance for consumers to find. And so there is that burden on the manufacturer not to put an excessive amount of caffeine in the container. And that leads to that challenge of knowing and conveying how much caffeine is too much, which is all feeding that controversy of are energy drinks safe or not. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, state laws, they've made energy drinks 18 and up in some states, at least. Uh, last July, Chuck Schumer called for an investigation into prime energy concerning its caffeine content and what he calls marketing to kids. Are energy drinks under attack or do you think the scrutiny is fair? I do think the scrutiny on marketing is fair. I think many energy drinks make the news for caffeine amounts that are not excessive but perhaps somebody has consumed it in an irresponsible way, or perhaps they just didn't know how much caffeine they could handle, and they ended up having side effects that the general population may not experience. And so that, I don't want to say anecdotal evidence, but that trend where some people have those symptoms sometimes skews the picture of how the general public responds to energy drinks like Prime or other caffeinated beverages that had the same amount of caffeine. I think Chuck Schumer has been a great advocate for caffeine safety, and I do applaud all of his efforts over these many, many, many years to try and hold manufacturers responsible, not just for their labeling of the caffeine content in their products, but also the way they're marketing their products. I just think it's it's tricky because technically speaking, scientifically speaking, the amount of caffeine in products like Prime is not scientifically excessive. If I could could just add, so, you know, there's there's two things you think of in the regulatory arena. So one is, you know, what's permitted, what's not permitted, what are the restrictions? But the other thing is looking at your label and what are you trying to convey? So that's one thing that we look at, you know, the product name. Is it, you know, something that conveys that this is going to make you feel better or happier or give you more energy? And and what does that mean? And then there's some other maybe implied claims that we would look at. So, you know, are there pictures on the on the product that, 
you know, makes you feel like, oh, if I take this product, I'm going to look like this or I'm going to act like this. So those gray areas are something that we can also help with. Okay. And I'm just thinking about some of these states that have made energy drinks 18 and up. Have you ever seen it enforced? I have not. I have seen many, many, many attempts to ban the sale of energy drinks to minors. And to my knowledge, all of them have failed. And I think I can understand the challenge. For one, how do you specify what an energy drink is? Because there might be some products that are just caffeine and water. Is that an energy drink? Something like a coffee that has added guarana, added taurine, added B vitamins. Well, is that an energy drink? Caffeine comes from coffee. So is it a coffee or is it an energy drink? A lot of the challenges to these bans come not just from enforcing them at the point of sale, but also from agreeing on what is and what is not an energy drink. Also, there is that double standard. If you ban something that looks like Red Bull because it looks like an energy drink, well, that has less caffeine than a Starbucks double shot, which is also in a canned beverage. So how do you regulate something because it is an energy drink versus regulating the amount of caffeine in it? So I have never seen a energy drink ban that has been successful. That is such a good point because yeah, there's caffeine in soda. There's caffeine and and a lot of drinks. Like you said, even some waters contain caffeine. And uh, yeah, my coworker, she sent her her young son, I think he's eight, to the store to buy a prime and he came home with it. I mean, it's not it's not being enforced. And I mean, that's a pretty big onus to put on store clerks as well. I mean, if it's busy one day, I don't know that they're going to have time to, to sit there and look at the label and figure out what's what, right? Absolutely. And with Prime, this gets back to the burden of the manufacturer because I believe Prime sells a sports beverage similar to a Gatorade that does not have caffeine, but it also sells a caffeinated product. So like you said, you're relying on the consumer. You're also relying on a clerk to say, wait, is this the caffeinated one or is it not? It's not very clear on the label. And again, this is where Food Chain can help with, you know, reviewing your label claims and label guidelines and recommendations. But for a clerk or for a consumer, it might be difficult just looking at the brand name to understand is this caffeinated or not. And, you know, we're talking about regulated, but there's another opportunity here. And and e- the EU is one place where this has happened. There's um, a beverage association called UNESTA, and they are actually kind of self-governing. So rather than wait until the government tells you what to do, they're trying to get ahead of it and proposing some basic guidelines. So, you know, they're saying things like um, on the pack of a, a product to put on consume moderately or something similar so that the consumer can understand that they probably ought to think about how many of these drinks they're taking. And and so, you know, where to put the the claim or that that warning, if you will, that light warning on on the package so that it's visible. So there are opportunities outside of the regulatory arena where we could help ourselves. Certainly. And we've we've seen that play out in other categories as well. CBD comes to mind. There's a lot of self-regulating going on in that wild, wild west. Yep. So speaking of manufacturers, what do beverage and supplement manufacturers need to know when they launch products that, that contains caffeine? They can. Well, they should. They are responsible for knowing what the regulations are. Plain and simple. Um, the other thing they can do 
is where they're unsure, they could look at similar sorts of regulations uh, in countries such as Canada, such as the EU, to get a frame of reference. We can help with that. We're, we're really well-versed in the supplements area, as well as, of course, caffeine with Danielle here. I think you brought up about the UNESTA. So in the U.S., in terms of labeling, there is a similar set of guidelines from the American Beverage Association. Their guidelines are not requirements. It's not a law. It's not a regulation. But fortunately, about 95% of the energy drinks sold in the U.S. follow these guidelines. And one of them is the caffeine declaration of total caffeine from all sources per container. So I think that also adds to the things that manufacturers need to be aware about. It's not a law, it's not a requirement, but it is guideline and it is a best practice among this product type. Uh, What are some of the main challenges in labeling caffeine supplements uh, versus, say, caffeine beverages? Great question. So dietary supplements are regulated completely differently than food and beverage products. Most energy drinks fall under that food and beverage product category, so they'd be regulated under the U.S. FDA, whereas supplements have a completely different set of regulation. As such, supplements pose their own challenges because it's a different label format. There's different rules for how you declare the ingredients. There's different rules for what ingredients can be in supplements but cannot be in food products. It's a whole different ballgame. So I think the biggest challenge is knowing this entirely separate set of rules. Even though your product may have caffeine in it, it's completely different whether it's regulated as a supplement or as a food and beverage. Yeah, and just thinking about that, are adulterated, misbranded, or mislabeled caffeine products an issue like with other food and beverage markets? Well, I would not consider energy drinks highly adulterated product. I know that in July, energy drinks made headlines everywhere for, quote, high caffeine content and labeling violations. But that's because the caffeine regulations in Canada are different than they are here in the U.S. And because products which don't meet these Canadian standards were imported through unauthorized channels, not by the manufacturers. So that's why they got in trouble. And usually where caffeine products do face issues is with knowing the laws and the guidelines of other markets. Again, that's where food chain ID can help. Yeah, it's interesting. So I grew up in Detroit next door to Canada, and we would hop over there from time to time, mostly when we were, you know, 19 and 20. But do you remember mini thins? No, I don't. So mini thins were kind of big when I was younger, and they were caffeine pills, basically, that sold at a gas station um, and different things like that. Just, you know, give you a boost of energy. Some people would take it before the soccer games or going out or whatever. But we had purchased some energy pills at the gas station because we knew we were going to be out one, late one night and we were, went over to Canada and our car got searched and they were looking at our caffeine pills. And we we're like, we, hey, you know, totally legal, bought them at a gas station. And the border guard told us we have to check it because, you know, some of these caffeine products are the same class of drugs as, as cocaine. And so had it been maybe a different brand with more caffeine, we could have ended up in jail that night unknowingly just because we weren't aware at all about these caffeine regulations in the country next door. Wow. It's kind of scary when you think about it. So how does Canada, the U.S. and U.K., I mean, how do they all compare? I would say Canada is definitely more strict. I, I love how they have capped 
the amount of caffeine in a container. So in Canada, there's, I think, 180 milligrams of caffeine allowed per container. So many of the energy drinks here are 200 milligrams of caffeine per 12 ounce. So if you think of Prime, Alani New, Celsius, a lot of these are 200 milligrams of caffeine in a 12 ounce can. That is above Canada's cap. So Canada is way more strict than the U.S. I love them for that. I love how they're putting the burden on the manufacturer, not the consumer. That's one of the ways that they differ from the U.S. And that is one of the ways they differ from other countries in the European Union. So there is a set of, I wouldn't say regulations, but I would lean towards calling it a guidelines. That's from the European Food Safety Authority. So the EFSA or the European Food Safety Authorities, their scientific opinion on the safety of caffeine suggests that a single dose of caffeine up to 200 milligrams do not give rise to safety concerns. Basically, you can have 200 milligrams at once and be okay if you're part of the general healthy adult population without, you know, health effects or, you know, other 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 conditions, right? Canada's limit is actually more strict than these guidelines from the European Food Safety Authority. So they are much more strict than the US and in other countries in the EU. Okay, and so Health Canada restricts the amount of caffeine from all sources to 180 milligrams per serving. But I'm thinking, are they limiting the purchase of more than one can at a time? No. No. Okay, so you could easily just buy two, right? I mean. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But I think that's where volumetrics really comes into play. Like there's a number of things that happen psychologically when you have to open a second can or open a third can. There's also part of the regulations and the best practices for energy drinks where the manufacturer will put on the can, please do not have or not recommended to have more than two cans per day. So they are kind of giving you a warning. Yes, you can buy five of these energy drinks, but we really don't recommend that you have more than two. I think it also helps because it's a separate container, you're less likely to open that fifth can of energy drink versus if you had one energy drink that had your whole day's amount of caffeine in one can, you kind of get this clean plate syndrome psychologically, where even though you have enough caffeine and you're feeling alert, you have this impulse to finish the whole thing. So it is much better to have smaller amounts of caffeine and have the consumer buy multiple servings because they're less likely to have all of those cans that they've bought versus this one giant can with all the caffeine in it. Do you think Canada's caffeine cap regulation will catch on in the U.S. or elsewhere? I do not think it will catch on, unfortunately. If wishing made it so, we would we would have it here. <laughs> but I don't think it will catch on in the U.S., I know that there have been numerous attempts at banning the sale of energy drinks, as we've discussed earlier today, but I think that's the worst way to go because it's so hard to enforce at the point of sale. I just don't see the U.S. putting that same cap on energy drinks because I think they are still relying on manufacturers to follow the general guideline, which is 400 milligrams of caffeine per day. So that 400 milligrams still comes from that European Food Safety Authority scientific opinion on the safety of caffeine. That same one that said 200 milligrams per serving is okay. That guideline also said 400 milligrams of caffeine is okay. That tends to be what the FDA looks at. 
So I don't think that the U.S. would cap the specific amount of caffeine. They would just kind of lean on the manufacturers to follow that 400 milligram guideline. I also don't see, you know, a national ban coming anytime soon. But when it comes to state bans, do you foresee any of them working out or is it just going to continue to not be enforced? I honestly don't think it will happen anytime soon. I've been following energy drinks and the science behind them, the regulations against them since the early 2000s. And I've seen a number of bands get really close, but they all just fail at the point of being signed and implemented. I think there's a number of consumers that kind of rebel against that type of a band. There might be a lot of parents that have energy for it, but it just never makes it all the way across the finish line. And this has been happening since 2003. I think there may be. So as as we've watched a variety of of different things come through the states, I think there could be a possibility where one state might say, well, I'd like to have some kind of warning on there or some kind of advisory statement that they might take up. And that might get legs, as it has with some other things. But we already have that, though. That's part of the American Association guidelines is the best practice for energy drinks, and you will, you'll find this on 95% of the energy drinks out there, they do have warning labels on the can. Some of them, unfortunately, are very, very tiny, and it's buried in like the fine print underneath all the ingredients. But most energy drinks do have that warning. This is how much caffeine we have. We don't recommend this for pregnant or nursing or adolescents. Do not consume more than two cans per day. Sure. But I, I do think that there's always one or two states who who would like to take things a little bit further. It's a possibility. I don't know that it's imminent. And like we talked about earlier, I think maybe the first step might be just being able to define what an energy drink is, right? Yes, that is constantly a challenge because energy drinks are constantly evolving. Like you mentioned earlier, there's clean energy drinks that don't really look like their forefathers of 2003. So how do you call them all energy drinks when they look so different and when their ingredient lists vary so much? Mm -hmm. And before I let you both go, what is next? Is there anything exciting that you're working on? There's always something. There's always something. It's not necessarily related to caffeine. You know, we're we're very involved in looking at PFAS, you know, for uh, packaging. That's that's the hot topic lately. Yeah, we're we're just involved in in all sorts of things. We are tracking and watching the uh, activities with Prop 65 in California. Always keep an eye on that. Danielle, anything you want to add? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yes. So I recently published a textbook for the California State University of Long Beach, and that textbook is called Decoding Energy Drinks from Health to Headlines. And that workbook helps college students interpret news headlines and research studies about energy drinks and really look for the biases and think critically about some of the gaps in the data or some of the misconceptions in the news stories. So I'm trying to get that into more colleges. And I think that'll help consumers understanding some of the challenges and the controversies with energy drinks that we've talked about today. Very cool. So you both have mentioned California and they've been kind of leading the charge in regulation when it comes to food safety. And FDA's been kind of following in their footsteps. Is California a state we need to keep our eyes on? I'm from California, so absolutely. Always keep your eye on California. (laughs) They they don't always go through, but I think California was one of the states 
from which a state governor put a letter together, which resulted in the ban of caffeinated alcoholic beverages. So I think there are definitely possibilities for legislators within California to get some things done related to caffeinated beverages. And it, it's hard to operate in the U.S. without looking at California. It's such a big market. It, it would be really it would be really strange not to not to consider them as they they put forth different opinions. All right. All eyes on California. Food chain IDs, Danielle Robertson-Rath and Lane Groninger. Thank you so much for joining me here on the NutriCast. Thank you. And thanks for having us. Yes. Thank you very much. If you like what you just heard, you can subscribe to the NutriCast wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head to NutriIngredients-USA.com for even more Nutri-related content. Thank you for listening. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutriCast next week.